the words of Billy Graham really stirred in my heart to, for this whole trip. Uh, you are called and I am called to stand in the ruins of the city of man and proclaim the city that God is building. So I, I, stir, I ask folks to really consider what God is doing, what's on his heart, and then uh, uh, ask him to be led and perhaps participate in a trip like this, whether it's in our city or whether it's somewhere in our nation or somewhere else around the world. And welcome to this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. I'm Byron Tyler. It's always a pleasure to get together. I've got Steve Copeland. Steve is the director of Black Choices of Memphis. Steve, it's always good to see you. How are you doing? Doing great. It's good to be here, Byron. And we also have, joining us by a phone, a dear longtime friend of mine, Chris Hodges, who is host of Abiding Above radio feature that's heard here weekday afternoons just before the 5 o'clock hour. He's actually been a train engineer, too, in his former life. Right now, he joins us by phone from Florida, taking a well-deserved break. We just wanted to get together and uh, have a conversation about a recent trip these gentlemen took to the Hudson Valley area of New York. And we've got a lot to talk about. But, Chris, welcome to Mid-South Viewpoint. Well, it's good to be back with you, Byron. And I did celebrate 10-year anniversary with you guys. That's right. I think we gave you the plaque. Didn't you get the plaque? Oh, I got the money, but not the plaque. (laughs) Oh, you got the money, but not the plaque. Okay, well, I wish you wouldn't have said that because Steve got the plaque, but not the money. Mine was 24-karat gold, though. (laughs) (laughs) Listeners, I'm just joking. I know you're joking, but also we do want to say a special thank you to both you and Steve for being part of our radio outreach. You, of course, through Abiding Above Ministries, as you mentioned, for these past 10 years. And then, of course, Life Choices of Memphis, where Steve directs the ministry, longtime ministry partner here having a radio feature every Monday. I remember when we first went on the air thirty, almost 33 years ago this year, Steve, Leslie Stainbrook was the host. She was also the director of Life Choices at that time, and she used to come out to Collierville in a little block building in the gravel driveway, host a 30-minute show on Mondays at 2.30 live. Great job doing that, but you guys have had longevity. Yes, yeah, Leslie's a wonderful woman. In fact, I spoke to her the other day. She loves the Lord and still uh, contributes to much of the vision and mission of what we do at Life Choices. Of course, when you went on 33 years ago, I was just uh, three years old, so I hadn't listened <laughs> at that time, but uh, it's good to catch up with you. Oh, my goodness. Got a jokester among us, Chris. <laughs> Contagious. We want to get together and talk about a recent trip that you gentlemen took, along with some other guys, to the Hudson Valley area of New York. We've got a lot to talk about, little time to cover. Steve had sent me an email about a week or so ago, uh, right after your trip, kind of highlighting what you experienced. And as I saw this, I thought, oh my goodness, we have got to get these guys on the radio and share share what happened. I think, for the most part, an opportunity for us to be encouraged to share our faith. What did the Apostle Paul say? I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, because it is what the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first, which, by the way, Steve is Jewish, came to Christ, right, Steve? Yes, that's correct. And then to us, Chris and I, the Gentile. So we know that the gospel is powerful to change lives. And you guys are demonstrating that through your ministries at Life Choices and, of course, Chris at Abiding Above Ministries, but you guys kind of started with a burden. Take us back to the original idea about this particular trip. You want to start off, Steve? Yeah, a number of years ago, it was on my heart to reach out to the Northeast United States. Uh, I believe it's uh, very under-evangelized, largely paganized, uh, 
even the studies by Barna have shown it is the least impacted by the gospel in the United States, even less impacted than California and Oregon and Washington, which are also largely paganized. And uh, the Lord put on my heart a burden, what I call evangelistic excursions, to a number of the states in the Northeast. And finally, uh, the first one materialized, sort of a pilot project to see if really the Lord's hand would be in it and that there might open the door for further excursions uh, in the future. Chris, how did you get to know Steve Copeland? I was preaching at Memphis Union Mission. He was there with his son. I think either they had just gotten back from the Holy Land or they were on their way. We did not know each other, and he came up to me afterwards, and he says, I think I know probably some books that you read. And I said, what are those? And he said, books by Major N. Thomas. And I said, absolutely. He said, I love Major Thomas. And I told him my experience with Major Thomas, who shared uh, the believer's identity in Christ. That's the bottom line of Major Thomas. Is that the Saving Life of Christ book by Major Ian Thomas, Chris? Yes. He's got he's got quite a few, but the Saving Life of Christ is the most popular one. That was the one Agent Rogers said. It was in the top five of best books for him personally. It helped him see himself in Christ. But anyway, so we talked, and then uh, we uh, had breakfast or lunch when he got back from the Holy Land, I think. And then uh, I invited Steve to help me and some other guys with gospel track distribution at the St. Patrick's Day Parade. And so he met with us, and we spent a few hours handing out a couple of thousand tracks. And boy, he's a go-getter. I mean, really. He gave him the tracks, and man, he walked straight into the people and started handing them out. So that's how we got to know each other. What an experience. And, and you talk about handing out literature, gospel tracts. I remember as a new Christian back in the 1970s, late 70s, you saw a lot of tract distribution among churches, among individuals. I don't hear or see much of that today. Yeah, I, I think it's less frequent. I do know a number of brothers and sisters around the country who regularly carry tracts and distribute them as they're going through life. Uh, I just not sure where the situation is in the body of Christ. It seems like much of it is we're often a little bit too focused on ourselves and on our own happiness or our own progress in life, and we forget that the those around us are perishing, and Christ came to seek and save that which is lost. And it's on our heart and was on our hearts of several men who went with us to be bold in doing this. One of them, Alan West, who regularly hands out Gospels at intersections in Memphis, uh, so uh, may the word go forth. As a personal experience, Steve, you stated that there was a provision of joy, peace, and boldness. Explain what you mean by that. Well, I, I don't know. For me personally, every moment of every day that we were there, there was the joy of the Lord being my own strength, the strength to me and I believe to those who were with us, and peace about the directions we were taking, when to go to the left, when to go to the right, when to stop and take a break, and Really, just sense that the, like it says in Colossians, let the peace of God, actually in the Greek, arbitrate in your hearts. In other words, lead you perfectly. And I felt like we were led by the Lord throughout the trip. Chris, how about you? What was your personal experience like on this trip? You know, if I'm not mistaken, Steve, we there were two guys on our trip that were led to the Lord by receiving a track from someone, or God used a track somehow in their lives. Yes. Uh, and that just made it even more special. But for me, uh, being in the Northeast, uh, as Steve has said, the presence of the gospel is not very strong in the Northeast. And so I've been in that type of environment many, many times, but there I was right in the middle of it in my old country. 
And it was a blessing to me to be with guys who were like-minded, who were not ashamed of the gospel, but at the same time, we knew that what we did had to be an agape love, or, or we might get punched in the nose. But that did not happen. Uh, we were surprised uh, how willing people were to receive the track. They would stop, and some of them would read it immediately, and some would even ask uh, questions. And and the more we did this, the more bold we became uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit, and the more surprised we became as we realized these people are hungry, and they're hoping that what we're giving them is what they're looking for. Well, Chris, through your ministry, Abiding Above, you've traveled around the world preaching and teaching the gospel of Christ. What was different about this Hudson Valley trip for you? Well, it was the, the fact of it being in our nation. You know, you didn't have the weariness uh, of the travel that you do when you do international. But at the same time, we heard and saw enough that reminded us that if, although we love America and we pray for America and we're doing as children of God, what we can uh, to help America. America has been in a downward spiral for a very, very long time. And what we were doing is one thing of many that can be done, but at least we're doing something. It was an encouragement to me to get in front of so many people. I think we handed out nearly 20,000 tracts, somewhere thereabouts. And I believe with all my heart, these paper missionaries is what I like to call them, uh, I believe they're working this very day in the lives and hearts of people there. Okay, now how many total guys went on this trip besides you, Steve and Chris? Yeah, there were seven of us, but we traded out one guy for another halfway in between. So there uh, were really a team of six at every point we went to, most of them from Memphis, but one from New York. uh, And uh, it was very encouraging. The fellowship, the closeness, the purpose that we were focused on, we really worked well together. Well, you described this supernatural unity and humility that was felt among the team. Tell us about that. Well, again, as Chris said, uh, and you have said, uh, we're not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I know from my own experience, I'm from that area. I was born in Poughkeepsie, New York, and raised in the New York metropolitan area. And in my high school, there were maybe one or two Christians in the graduating class. Uh, There were not very many Christians in my hometown. There's a heart. uh, The Lord came to seek and save that which was lost. He looked on the multitudes and had compassion, and I think each of us were moved by that. And even when we faced a minor opposition or someone who disagreed with us or whatever, or every now and then the police or security wondered what we were doing, there was that focus to say uh, we are ambassadors for Christ and pleading with uh, men and women to be reconciled to God. Now, there were some times, Chris, I believe, that you had some opposition from a security or police officer, and they actually asked you to stop what you were doing. Yeah, that was at one of the universities. They asked us to stop, and then we found out later that uh, they had uh, someone, a janitor or someone, start picking up the places where we had left tracks. We both uh, would uh, leave tracks in places, but we would also hand them directly to people. And uh, they asked us to stop, and so we obeyed what they said. We stopped, but then we began to work on the permit. Uh, We went straight to the office where you can get a permit to distribute things on campus. And so we put that in place, and we tried to get approved as quickly as we could. And then we also continued it. Some of us continued to hand out tracts as the Lord uh, led us, uh, even after that event. And uh, we also uh, left that location, went to 
another location to freely hand out tracks, but then we came back the following day to, to continue. So, so they gave you the permit finally? No, we never got the permit, so we didn't get to stay the next day as long as we would have liked. We uh, were hoping to we were hoping to get a table and a chair where we could lay the tracks out, and as the students walked by, give it to them. But what happened was they said it would take several days uh, before they could um, approve that. So it kind of stopped that. But like I said, we, we, we immediately went to other places and continued the flow and came back to that place. I think they shut us down again. Is that right, Steve, the second time? Yeah, the second time we were just, uh, we were a little reluctant. We we didn't want to stir any trouble, yet at the same time, I think many of us said, you know, when it comes to preaching the gospel or prayer or the word of God, uh, no authority can tell us uh, that we shouldn't do that. But uh, I think it was very encouraging all the way along. We had a plan, and yet we flexed along the way as we as circumstances would seem to lead us to uh, proceed in another direction or so forth. But going through towns and cities throughout the Hudson Valley, Kingston, Saugerties, Poughkeepsie, Rhinebeck, and other towns and cities along the way, Nanuet, New York, Pearl River, New York, Montvale, New Jersey, universities. And then really part of our trip we spent in New York City, which was really not original uh, part of the plan, but seemed like the Lord opened some pretty wide doors there as we did that as well. And you guys mentioned a surprisingly positive receptiveness on the part of many of those you encountered. Can you share some specific stories as you saw that unfold? Yeah, I'll share one story, and then uh, Chris can share some. I know Chris led several people to Christ. Uh, one individual, uh, forlorn-looking man, was getting on a bicycle, and I was about to hand him a track, but he moved, was moving pretty quickly, so I sort of stood back. But then he got off his bike, and I said, may I give you this? And he looked at it. And he said, he, God has forsaken me. And he had the saddest look in his eyes. And I said, well, the Lord, can you can return to him right now. Can we pray together? And uh, we prayed together. And he seemed to leave a, a different man from, from before that. So God was very kind to reach out to that man who may have been a Christian, but had walked away from him and uh, seemed to turn back. In Steve's hometown, we, we had a hotel we stayed at. And um, uh, there was a lady... She was in charge of uh, serving breakfast each morning, and uh, I struck up a conversation with her. Once her responsibilities had settled down and she wasn't too busy, she and I started talking, and she brought brought up the subject. You know, asked me what's happening to our world. She was watching something on television, and then I began to explain to her what was happening, and that it should be no surprise to us what's happening. The Bible tells us this, and long story short, I uh, shared the gospel with her. She prayed to receive Christ, and we signed her up for Bible lessons. And uh, she had tears in her eyes. Oh, my. God sent you, <laughs> God sent you in here. Wow. Then another uh, hotel manager told us at the front desk that since y'all have been in this hotel, the atmosphere has changed. And she says, uh, we know uh, we know you guys are, are walking with God. And uh, she said, me personally, I want to know how. And so anyway, uh, she was a Christian. But she uh, she signed up. Uh, she wants to receive uh, Bible lessons from us uh, through the mail. And then the third and last one for me, as far as an individual thing, we were in Albany, New York, uh, the capital of the state of New York, and we were near the legislative building. Steve and the guys were inside going from office to office, and that was another place they were asked to leave. But I was out in the courtyard area putting tracks in door handles of people's cars, and a man got out of his truck, 
and uh, I walked over to him and handed him a track, and uh, he started telling me that he was going into this big building to stand in a long line to fill out a lot of paperwork to try to retrieve my father's war bonds. And he started crying, and he said, but I've got a problem. I said, what is that? And I said, I've got nine siblings that assume that I'm going to get these war bonds and steal from them their inheritance. And he said, it's hurting my soul. And he said, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to receive them and divide it by 10, and every person will get every penny that Dad left. But it was killing him that his siblings were so suspicious of him. And so that led to a gospel conversation. And on the sidewalk there, he prayed uh, to receive Christ. And then he turned and started walking to the building. He turned around, and he looked at me, and he said, it's like you came out of nowhere. <laughs> and I, I told him, I said, well, I came out of the mind of God long ago. And then uh, he walked a little further to the building. He turned around and said, okay. I'm the glove, God's the hand. I got it. Here I go. That was it. Last time time I'll ever see him this side of heaven. Wow. What an incredible story there, Chris. And Steve, as he shared the story of the man on the bicycle, so wonderful to to see how this was spirit-led. I mean, you talked about divine appointments, and this is what we're seeing unfold here. I understand that there were a time of some rejection, primarily when you were in the areas of Times Square on one particular afternoon. I mean, how intense did that get? You know, it it was, I think, on a Tuesday we had gone there, and, of course, the people in Times Square change every 10 minutes. (laughs) But uh, so there was a lot of resistance where people just were not going to take the tracks or the Gospels and pretty much just looking down at their phones or going on with life. A couple of the men went to a different part of the area, a little bit north of that, about uh, 50th Street, and found it more receptive. Uh, Three days later, we were back in Times Square on Friday evening, and it was a very successful time. So it was just one of those moments uh, where folks were just focused elsewhere. I've had that happen before in New York. I thought that was going to be the way it was going to be everywhere we went, and I'm thankful that was really just one hour of uh, resistance like that during the trip. And I, I attribute that to prayers for people all over the world who are praying for us. Chris, there were some circumstances that led you to connect with some believers from Manhattan Fellowship, I believe. Yes, they were connected with uh, Steve Copeland and uh, some of his friends back in Memphis. And uh, as a small gathering of, uh, of God's children, they, they gathered together. They started uh, in a home, and then they, uh, they got larger and larger, and now they rent space there in, in Manhattan. And uh, I really enjoyed my time there. I think all of us did. It was rare, very simple, which more and more the older I get, I'm seeing the wisdom and the direction of God and the simplicity of what a church is supposed to really be like. And basically, we were there. We spent time uh, just being quiet, meditating, and, and some of the men would stand and read a portion of Scripture or give a word of exhortation. Then they would sit down. We did that probably 20 minutes. And then we, uh, someone would say, let's sing this hymn. And uh, we would uh, we would sing, stand and sing a hymn uh, or a praise song that someone uh, would suggest. And then we uh, had uh, the Lord's table, and then we uh, listened to a wonderful sermon. And uh, But it was all very simple, uh, not complicated, and I just really sensed the presence of the Holy Spirit with these people. Is this a trip that you gentlemen would consider doing again? Yeah, I've certainly been before the Lord about this. This was really a pilot 
trip, but obviously a real trip. And uh, I think there were so many confirmations from the Lord every step of the way that I believe that the this trip, doing this area again, doing central New York, western New York, western Massachusetts, Vermont, New Hampshire, Connecticut, Rhode Island, parts of Jersey, Maine, uh, are now, I've actually, since I've been back, have uh, drilled them down even more substantially. I'd like to see a lot more people go do this, and on my heart is to see a thousand people this is the time. I mean, the Lord is coming. We should be out there preaching the good news. It says in uh, in Elisha's day that they sat around uh, with all the spoil, enjoying themselves, and one of them looked to the other and said, we're not doing right. This is the day of good news, and we're remaining silent. We need to be bold. So uh, uh, this is a time to really uh, go to where the mission field is. And believe it or not, a lot of it's in the United States. Chris, what would you guys do differently if you plan future trips, you think? I think we probably would try to enlist some more people, maybe some uh, people that can play the guitar, and maybe uh, go to a local park and let them sing. Yes. And uh, and that would just gather people around. Uh, something else I haven't talked with Steve about, but we could also show the Jesus film in a park. And uh, so that, did, that would mean that we would have different people in different groups doing different things. Track distribution, absolutely doing that again, no doubt about it. But uh, we could also have people who feel led to do something else while we're handing out the tracks. And uh, also maybe trying to get uh, Derek Duncan, who's in Poughkeepsie there in New York, to try to get some uh, local churches uh, to open up their doors and maybe have a simultaneous revival. Yeah, you know, Pastor Derek has been on this show, Mid-South Viewpoint. I interviewed him back within the last year. And, of course, he is from the area. Actually, God called him after graduating from Mid-America Baptist Theological Seminary to go plant a church there. And he was, I understand, if I'm correct in my story, Chris, that Derek was a contractor. And God called him out of that business, like you were a train engineer, called you out of being a train engineer into the ministry as well. Absolutely. And uh, Derek's a good friend. Uh, I've been to his church once when I was preaching in New Jersey at uh, America's Keswick. And then we saw him on this trip. You know, he is a cancer patient, so we gathered around him and prayed for him. But uh, his church, uh, they're they're going to build. I think they've got land, and they're going to build uh, a bigger building, and they're doing well. And um, But anyway, we could do a simultaneous revival. I did this one time uh, with Johnny Hunt's church in Woodstock. We did it in uh, Cape Town, South Africa, where a team of preachers went to the local churches uh, and preached on the same uh, day at the same time, revival messages, and we could do something like that, track distribution, concerts in the park. Uh, I mean, just there's a there's a lot of things that a lot of people can do. What's good is when they know the work of the Holy Spirit and God puts something specific on their heart to be a part of. Well, as we wrap up our program today, gentlemen, how would you encourage other believers listening to us right now to pray, to plan, and take similar trips, or maybe focus on an area of our city? First of all, I'd say go before the Lord and get to know Him better and get to know His heart. These are the last days, and one of the big priorities on His heart is the gospel message. The words of Billy Graham really stirred in my heart to for this whole trip. Uh, you are called, and I am called, to stand in the ruins of the city of man and proclaim the city that God is building. So I, I, stir, I ask folks to really consider what God is doing, what's on his heart, 
and then uh, uh, ask him to be led and perhaps participate in a trip like this, whether it's in our city or whether it's somewhere in our nation or somewhere else around the world. I would encourage people to pause in life and remember that the average lifespan of a man and woman is in, in their late 70s. And then measure how much time you have left. And then ask yourself, what have I done so far? What will God have me to do? What will my future look like as I walk with God? And Jesus did not complicate things. He said, go you therefore and make disciples. He said, go. He, he didn't say come. He said, go and make disciples to his children and, uh, and, that, and to the whole uh, world. And so I would encourage people to measure how much time they have left in this life, this moment called time, and then ask the Spirit of God to burn into their hearts what He would have them to do specifically in the matter of winning people to Christ. And then listen to God. Maybe uh, consider fasting and praying. But walk in the Spirit. Live a life of unbroken communion. And the Spirit of God will place on your heart exactly what He would have you to do in your moment called time. Tim, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing your passion and what our passion should be as followers of Jesus Christ because of the power of the gospel. I like what you said, Chris, about the man that was walking the steps, and he turned around and he said, I mean, he was just a brand-new believer. He got it right away. I'm the glove and he's the hand, and I'm just going to move within the realm of his leadership, the spirit leadership, and part of that is proclaiming the good news. You guys talked about maybe planning future trips or seeing more people come aboard, guitar players, other people, musicians, to be part of future trips. Is there a way to connect with you guys, to contact you? I'll let Chris give his connecting point. Mine is very simple, Steve Copeland, C-O-P-L-O-N, at gmail.com or 901-351-7733. And mine is Abiding Above. A-B-I-D-I-N-G, A-B-O-B-E dot O-R-G, abidingabove dot O-R-G. You go there, and there's contact uh, information right there on the website. One final thing. Our time is really almost gone. I just want to ask one more question. Has anyone contacted you yet as a result of those over 4,000 distributions of the Gospel of John? I know you had your email contact numbers there. We have not gotten any emails uh, as of yet. We did take notes on some of the people we made contact with, and I know individuals have been in contact with each other, but haven't gotten any email responses to date. And we encourage our friends to please pray for those seeds that were planted and those who made decisions for Christ now, and then those who will make decisions later as a result of your witness. Well, friends, that's all the time we have on this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. Thanks for stopping by. I'm Byron Tyler, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye.